0: You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry. Now you're very welcome to Stand Out with me, Ian O'Connell. I hope I find you well on this Wednesday evening. I'm delighted to say that my guest this week on Stand Out is former President of the GA and current MEP Sean Kelly. Sit back and enjoy the show. Sean, thanks William for coming on today and I appreciate it.
1: Delighted to do so, Ian.
0: Um, like uh, all of my guests. Sam, I don't know if you've heard any of the the interviews so far, but I like to bring all my guests kind of back to the to the start. Growing up, you 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 grew up in Kilcommon originally, did you?
1: I am a, born and raised in Kilcumon, a place called Knucklethaggle which means the hill of the rye, which would indicate that long ago there was tillage in that area, and uh, I grew up there. In, very nice neighbours, quite peaceful, but uh, we were quite happy even though we didn't have a whole pile, the same as everyone else. But looking back on it, I don't have any great uh, memories of really bad times as such. We just got on with it. Uh, I was probably of the last vintage of life now that walked to school barefoot, If and then I remember when the roads were tarred for the first time, the tar sticking to our feet and so forth. So <laughs> I go back a long way, you know, but Kilcumlin uh, is where I was born and where and the delighted to have played football for them for many years. And uh, I'm still a Kilcumlin man to a large degree, but I'm also a fussy man because I've actually spent longer in fussy now than I did in Kilcumlin. And Fosse, of course, is a great place to live as well. Great club here in the GA with a great community! And uh, I'm very happy to be here.
0: Very good. You're, my mom, ma'am. Um, my mom grew up in Kilcommon. Were you far? How far away were you from her? She was only across
1: the valley from us. Go away? The, yeah, a couple. I suppose as the crow flies, about two or three miles at the most. And of course, that time. There were no houses close to one another. The nearest house to us, our neighbours, would have been about 500 metres away. The next house would have been down the post office, I suppose. And the villages they call it now, would be about a kilometre away, or thereabouts, maybe a kilometre and a half. So our neighbours were not that many, but they were very dear. And the uh, distance, didn't make any difference that time. If you were within three
0: or four miles of somebody, they were your next door neighbor. Just, just mad to think back and and it's 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 all like you said, next door neighbor, and they could be three or four miles away. The Kilcumin village itself is it um back um back then when you were talking about was it was the the post office there? You said, but was was it a way different? to What it's now.
1: It's very different and they made a wonderful job with the landscape and the garden there nature garden the church of course and all that but really there were only three houses there when I was going up and for many many years one was the post office where uh, the McCartys are, Rina and Marish and they were now the other was uh, the Tishilis was another shop uh, and then the third was uh, my grandparents' house uh, right in the round the, in the corner, as you went around the corner of the village, and that was it. And there was nobody really living there because my grandparents died uh, in their sixties. So the my uncle Sean, who would be I'm called after, he played for Kerry in the fifties. He and his family would come down there during the summer and occasionally, but. Uh, that was the size of it. So to say, it was a village, in today's terms, you certainly wouldn't qualify. So really, there were two shops and a house that was occupied occasionally. And my grandfather actually had a shop in his town because he was an auctioneer, Brian Kelly. And then when he closed the shop, Tish, Healy opened the shop, crossed the way. And that was the size of it. But that was great because lot. everything revolved around the post office and Tish's. That's where you went for all your supplies. There was very little going to town to buy food at that time.
0: A lot different. So you said um, you're coming and did you are a pro around man played football. Did you play any other sports yeah. growing up? Do you know,
1: football was the only sport really at the time. And I was fortunate to be on the Kilcoman team that won the Odenhook Cup in 73 in the County junior Championship and the County League and played for many years subsequently. I went. I was about 40. I enjoyed a bit of it. But then when I became involved in the East Kerry board and in the county board, I was put responsible for hurling in Kerry. At that time, the vice chairman used to be responsible for hurling. And I was elected vice chairman in 1982. So I said, I'd want to do something about hurling in East Kerry. And uh, we started off. We got... Uh, Called the meeting where we people like Johnny Cullity and Pad Isle, great Pad Isle, whose son actually using in and uh, just about the post office now. I was one of the first houses to be built there, and then uh, I started hurling, and then I started doing a bit of hurling myself. So I started we formed St Pat's, which is still going strong. St Pat's is Kerry, and I played a bit of holding with them. I did my late brother Padre, and we won the county intermediate championship two years so hurling, yeah and then when I went to Pats I played a little bit of soccer and of course I played basketball uh, you always had a chance to play basketball uh, especially when you went to college and I did a bit of running We did a lot of running in the in the SEM when I was there I represented the SEM a few times and did a bit of running so anything that was going I had to go with it
0: that's that's the the job I I know when I was in the the same, the only time I played basketball was to get out of a, a class during the during the, the day. <laughs> um you 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 qualified as a primary school teacher originally in college, didn't you?
1: That's correct, Ian. Many people have that forgotten now. St. Patrick's College, was it? St. Patrick's College from Condra. Uh went there in sixty nine to the two year course, At that time qualified in seventy one, and taught in Dublin for four or five years out in a place called Kilmore West, out, out close to the airport. Uh, Coolock would be what is probably more famously known as now. And I enjoyed every bit of it. And I went to college in and I attended a degree, and then I was offered a job by the late father, John O'Donovan, who was president of the Senate at the time. And I took the job, and I came down again to Kerry, and I'm here since 1975. So I spent a lot of years in the Senate, enjoyed it, a uh, great community great spirit, and of course, football is king in the sense always was and always will be.
0: It's a, a great sporting um, school, even to this day. They're very um, successful in the football and even in, in other sports. Um, firstly, after the you said you were a primary school teacher, you swayed more into the, the kind of politics side of things then. Do you want to tell me exactly what? Um and, and MEP is, you know, for people that are listening, what does does the does their role involve?
1: Yeah, I didn't really ever get involved in politics much. I took an interest in it, the same as everybody does, because politics decides our lives really, because that's where the laws are made that we abide by. And uh, I was asked to go for the doll by Indy Kinney once or twice and prior to him John Broken. And uh, for one reason or another, I didn't stand. But then the Kinney got back to me and asked me, would I stand for Europe? And I was reluctant enough, quite frankly, because I was the executive chairman of the Irish Institute of Sport, of which I had the privilege of setting up in Dublin at that time. And it's gone well since, thankfully, as we see by the successes of our rowers and athletes and boxers. But uh, I looked at it and I said, you know, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So I said, I'll give it a go. And I did. And thankfully, I was elected to the European Parliament. And I'm very honoured to represent not just Kerry, but Ireland South in the European Parliament. And uh, I like the European Parliament, the way it works. It's not like the law where you have uh, government and opposition and everybody to yeah. the side of the government votes with the government and everybody in the opposition votes against the government on every issue, regardless of its merits. Whereas in Europe, you can only get legislation passed if you get a majority of people to agree with you. So that's a challenge, because everybody can vote really the way they want to vote. Well, there'd be groups there who would kind of have policy. If you didn't agree with the policy, you didn't have to support it, and there would be no real consequences. Whereas, of course, in the doll, if the government TTs voted against government and the government lost they'd probably turn out to the party so that doesn't happen in europe and that's something i liked because it meant that every vote had to be taken seriously uh, every issue had to be debated and if you couldn't bring people with you you wouldn't be successful so in some respects ian it was like a continuation of the ga in that respect because in the ga the same people vote according to what they think on the merits the demerits of a proposal and the majority decides. And it's the same with the Parliament, which I think is uh, very, very pleasing for me because it means you work harder and you can get better results.
0: It's very interesting. Like you said, it's a, a lot different to the to the doll. Um we were talking before we went on here here about travelling and stuff. There's a lot of travelling involved in in the job you were saying <coughs> over to Australia there recently and stuff. Do you ever get burnt out?
1: Thank God, no. So far, so good. Even just two weeks ago now, uh, I was asked to go on a mission to Australia because I'm on the Trade Committee and we're doing, at the moment, negotiating a free trade agreement with Australia and New Zealand. And it was very important that the Committee for the Parliament would go there and meet the ministers and the stakeholders and everybody involved. So, okay, I said I would. But it involved driving to Dublin, fly to Heathrow, Heathrow to Taiwan, Taiwan to Sydney, Sydney to Canberra, and starting at 8 o'clock in the morning. So, so it's uh, demanding, but that's the way it has to be because when you go that distance, you've got to make the most of it. So you have meetings uh, all day long. And uh, uh, to make a lot of progress and you learn new perspectives and more importantly you're able to give them the perspectives of Ireland and one of the things I was able to do there especially in relation to agriculture was to tell the Australians and the New Zealanders what the Irish view would be of free trade agreements and how it would impact maybe on them and also that the free trade agreement which they are doing with United Kingdom how that might impact on us as well. And then, of course, with the whole question of climate change and the challenge of reducing emissions, et cetera. So all that was good discussions. And uh, I was delighted because I was known in the end as the New Zealand Australian MEP uh, from Ireland because everywhere I went, everybody we met had Irish connections. I couldn't believe it. The minister, the first person we met had Irish connections. The second person, five minutes, telling us about his Irish connections. It was great for me, but for the other MEPs from all over Europe, I think it kind of bamboozled them a bit. And it also of course enhanced our reputation because the Irish are over there and do great work.
0: Uh, you anywhere you go in the world you're gonna make some connection to to an Irish person, a Kerry person, even in some in some um in some places. Absolutely. There- and even
1: when I went we went to New Zealand after Australia. For to meet those uh, ministers, etc., there and we met the Maoris. And one of the first people to come up to me was a Maori, he wanted to photograph with me because he said his, his grandfather was Irish. So we're everywhere, the great
0: Everyone, all getting rid of us. Um, is there a, a long process, um, before you get the position as a, an MEP? Is there a lot of pro like before that? Is there a long process to get to that position?
1: It is a thing I often wonder about in terms of politics. There is no process as such. Anybody can become a politician, and you could get any job, regardless of your background or knowledge, which is not a good thing in many respects. Because in most jobs you have to have qualifications, but in politics you, the process really is that you put yourself out for election, you campaign, and if you're elected, you become an M E P or a TD or a councillor or whatever it is. Uh, usually, uh, most go with their party. And of course, if you go with the party, the party is not you. You can't go forward with yourself. But you stopping people to stand independently? And I suppose that's a good thing, in many respects, because that's what democracy is about. Everybody's view is equally important and everybody's voice should be heard. And by and large despite the fact that there aren't any qualifications required, most of those uh, who occupy positions are fairly well qualified. And that was one of the things that struck me, particularly when I met the various ministers in uh, New Zealand and Australia, and indeed other places as well, was their in-depth knowledge of what is going on around them and of the issues they are dealing with. And I suppose it's, maybe some of them would have a background in it, but if they didn't, they'd study it. And they'd be well informed by the civil servants, etc. So it isn't really necessary to have major qualifications. The most important thing is to be able to get a grasp of the issues and to make uh, strong and brave and correct decisions. And I think to give most politicians their due, I think most of them are there motivated by trying to improve society and do things better than if they weren't involved at all.
0: Absolutely, I was reading on um online you were awarded MEP of the year in was it 2012 and 2020. I was actually MEP of the
1: year three years, and I was run up two years, so
0: that's. uh, You're like Dublin going for five in a row. (laughs)
1: So uh, it's a very rewarding because you have to be nominated by people who are watching what's going on in Europe, and then you're voted by the MEPs themselves. So to get that award, it's uh, very, very encouraging. And uh, it's also very satisfying because you feel that uh, the work you're doing, sometimes you think it wasn't being noticed. But when you get an award like that, well, like yourself, Ian, you stand out. Somebody must be seeing what you're doing and appreciating it. And I think that's the best part of an award like that. You feel that your work has been appreciated, and you're doing something positive, which is very important
0: as well. Absolutely, and it <coughs> goes to show that all the the work and travelling and everything is paying off. Like you, you said, um, I don't want to mention the word, but COVID. How how much of an impact did that have on, on your job in the European Parliament and travelling and everything? Looking back on it now.
1: It was a very difficult time for everybody, especially the other who lost loved ones. But where we were concerned, we had more restrictions here in Ireland than in the rest of Europe most of the time. And as a result, the MEPs from Europe were able to go to Strasbourg and Brussels, and we couldn't go. And when we went, we'd have to stay for two or three weeks because you'd have to have a test four or five days afterwards and then a, a test before you come and then a test again uh, when a few days after coming. So it wasn't possible to either go and come back and therefore we lost out a lot. We did do Zoom calls and all that kind of thing, but in politics, the personal touch is far more effective. Looking back now, we got through it. I used to have Zoom meetings here every day hear what I'm talking to you now, at home, in my living room, but the connection sometimes will break down, other people's connections will break down, and it was never really fully satisfying. It's great to be back now, again, meeting people and having uh, events where people can stand up and say what they have to say, and you hear everything 100% and there's no worries about uh, the line breaking down or losing connection and all that kind of thing, so... It was tough enough. It was tough for everybody, but hopefully it's behind us now.
0: The the fellow who made Zoom, he's laughing during COVID. I'd say he's a a <laughs> multi millionaire. Um, would the European People's Party be one of the largest groups in the in the um over there? It's the biggest.
1: Yeah, it was much bigger, but uh, we got rid of Victor Orbán from Hungary and his group in Budapest so the last fourteen MEPs, which. We just couldn't have him there anymore. He was just too outlandish altogether. But we're still the biggest group, which makes a big difference because uh, if you're trying to build a majority and you have your own group behind you, you're starting off with a huge advantage. Whereas a small group would find it very hard to build a majority because the bigger groups would have most of the votes and most of the say, therefore. So if we do EPPs, our group, If we do deal with what we call the socialists, that would be the Labour group, and maybe the Conservatives or the Greens, then we'd have a majority, and that makes it easier to get legislation done. But as I say, you'll never get 100% from any group. People can vote as they wish. So we have situations where we... When when a proposal is put to you in Parliament, (coughs) first of all, they decide... Which committee did this belong to? And say it's a dude energy to have to go to the energy committee of which I am member. Then in the energy committee, they'd say we must appoint somebody in charge of this. And then appoint someone, and you bid for it. And obviously, if we didn't know anything about it, you wouldn't get it. So they'd give it to somebody who was an expert in that field. And the other groups would do the same. And then they'd sit around and they'd all make amendments and proposals. And eventually they'd clash it all out And they try and reach what they call a compromise amendment. A compromise amendment is usually when four or five groups agree on something. And if you have that, then you're more or less guaranteed you're going to get a majority. If you can get a compromise amendment, then it's difficult to get a majority. So an offering of work goes on at committee level, going through motions, going through amendments, going through proposals, uh, to and throwing backwards and forwards, arguing maybe about a word, you would want in or what you would want out would make a difference. A word like for instance shall or may, that makes an awful difference. Shall means it has to happen. May means it could happen. So things like that. Eventually you get it, the committee votes on it, and if the committee passes it, then it goes to Parliament and the full Parliament votes. And no legislation can be passed without the full Parliament giving it its assent. That's how it happens.
0: It's very interesting, the process, because I don't think a lot of people know <laughs> the deans and out of it looking in. Um, do you know, I'm very interested to, do you know inside, when you're all inside, like doing talking, debating and stuff, do you know in the dollars, like you can't call that, is there someone like playing that role over there? Yes. yes, there's a president,
1: and there are actually 14 vice presidents. So they share the chairing of the meetings uh, between them. Because we'd start in the morning at 8.30 and we could be still going until 12 o'clock at night. Sure. Various topics coming up for debate. But uh, debate is very controlled. You just can't walk in and say, I'm going to speak on this motion now. And there's a TV camera over there and I'm going to go help for leather so I'll be on the Six o'clock news this evening. It doesn't look like that in the open parliament. Yeah. You have to be uh, for speaking time. The group has only so much speaking time, so they're divided up between those who probably are most involved in that issue, and the, the speaking time is limited, usually to a minute or a minute and a half. So there's no time for both. I'm praising everybody under the sun, i criticizing everybody uh, under mm-hmm. the sun as well. You have to decide what one or two points am I going to make here? You go up, you make it, when your minute is up, the lights start flashing, if you keep going, the president hits the hammer off the counter, and then if you don't stop because you have off, no one can hear you. So it's a very well-disciplined parliament from that point of view, and I mean nobody can really dominate. The time is divided out between each of the groups, so every, every group has its say, and every representative will get a chance over a period of time, depending on the topics they're interested in, if they want to speak.
0: What would be, at the moment now, I know global warming and stuff, what what would be the the big topics that are bringing... bringing Big topics,
1: obviously, climate change and global warming is a huge one because we're going through at the moment all the legislation in relation to that. It's called the Fit for 55 package. That means that we have to be fit to reduce emissions by 55% by 2030. So we're doing things like the... uh, Energy efficiency, we're doing things like uh, saving energy savings. I'm doing the energy performance and buildings directive, which is about retrofitting houses to make them more efficient. Do you know that 36% of greenhouse gas emissions come from houses, and 40% of the energy we use in Europe is used in heating and cooling houses across Europe? So, eh? if we are going to reduce emissions. A lot of work has to be done there. So, all those things have been discussed. And then, of course, you have Putin's horrible war in Ukraine. That's taking up a lot of time. The sanctions and how to deal with the lack of gas coming to Europe as a result of it, how we can get alternative supplies. And then they're moving other things forward as well, like the new cap that's more or less finalized now. And then uh, trying to promote the digital agenda, as they call it make things easier for people to go digital as time goes by, establishing the rules for the use and the exchange of data and all that kind of thing is keeping us going at the moment. And then, of course, as I said, we have the free trade agreements, which I'm involved in because I was in Australia. They'll be come into the parliament, they'll have to be discussed and debated, and argued about, and then we will be doing the same with other free trade agreements, which are in the pipeline as well.
0: I remember um going back, I don't know it was the last year, you um I think it was on Radio Kerry did an open article, but you were talking about the time change going into the winter and stuff, and um personally I think that they you know they should just leave it. But is there any sign of them scrapping the putting the clocks back and forward? It's almost gone two three years ago,
1: because we've been fighting this campaign now, I'd say, since I went out there over 10 years ago. And we made gradual progress. And then the Commission proposed, actually, we get rid of crop change. But it needed all countries to agree with it. And that's one of the, I suppose, the advantages, and some respects to disadvantages in Europe, uh, one country can often stop what the other countries want. And in this regard, you needed all countries to agree to the change, And all countries didn't agree. And then the commission changed, Ursula von der Leyen came in, and the young car Juncker left. So it it kind of went off the radar. But it's coming back on the radar now with the energy crisis, because the research has shown that if we didn't uh, put back the clocks at the end of this month, that it would save uh, quite a lot of money for Europe and quite a lot of energy. So I think we should be looking at every opportunity to save energy. And this is one of them, but it probably won't happen because uh, you need probably more time leading into it to get agreement, and then getting agreement from everybody can be very difficult.
0: Very so good, we'll keep acting on. Um, very good. Um, it's not like I said, it's very interesting to dear Dean's <coughs> I, I just want to move on there to football and the GA before we you were, um. You were president of the, the GA there. What did that mean to you as a, a proud, like a pro coming man and a football man?
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. And I think it was great for Kerry because I was lucky to be the first Kerry president of the GA, And I was lucky to be there at the time when a lot of changes were made. And I think uh, Kerry people supported those changes. We were ahead of other counties, thankfully. And I think they're very really pleased to see me leading it. And uh, it's a great honour because uh, you only one president every three years, so very few get the opportunity. But uh, for me, I anyway, personally, it wasn't something I ever really had in my mind. My ambition was to play for government. and like every young player to play for Kerry, I wasn't good enough to play for Kerry, and then I got involved in administration and. It kind of took off from there. More People sat and suggested I should go for President of the and I said, my goodness. And eventually then you kind of climbed up along the ladder, and I was elected with, I think, the biggest majority ever in the first time I went for it. Normally before that, people would have to go for it two or three times before they'd be elected. So that was nice, which was great to be there. And, of course, my late uncle... Father Brian Kelly, whom the pitch in Glimbe is now uh, thankfully called after, thanks to the great people of Glimbe, Father Brian Kelly Park. He was asked by, I think, for the Kellyman, uh, was it a great honour for him that his nephew, Sean, was present in the GA? And he, his reply was to be damn all good unless he presents the Sam to Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> thankfully, I had the honour of that and I presented uh, Sam Maguire to Dara Okaneza, Lech, Nicole Tata, and, the the, and uh, all Dara Fall, Coffee,
0: and Abbasikui. So that was great. Um, were you involved in um, bringing the rugby to Crow Park? Was it while on Road has been renovated? You have
1: it, Ian. That's exactly it. And it just shows you how the years go by. That was a hugely controversial issue at the time. Not just within the GA but in society. It had been really? debated left, right and centre. And uh, people in the GA said we should open to a path to soccer and rugby. While the hand down road was being developed, because otherwise the Irish teams would have to play their own games abroad, tricking him or half the fans or whatever. So, but it was it was very controversial because a lot of the GAA people saw it as a sellout. And you can understand that to a certain degree. We developed our own pitches. Uh, we are a small country. Our native games are competing against global games like uh, soccer and rugby. And they felt that if we opened it, that would be what they said, open the floodgates. gates. I didn't see it that way. And many more people didn't. And after a number of years, eventually... Uh, Two thousand and five, the Congress voted to open a uh, park to soccer rugby, and we had the great games there. And I suppose the one that stands out most is the Ireland England game two thousand and seven. And I remember the and everybody does who watched it. The history really being made when not just our own Vian was played, but when said the Queen was played, eighty thousand people at the match. Not. A single boo or whistle, total respect. And many people see that as the day Ireland really grew up and came into the modern era, not just the J, but Ireland as well. This was kind of a, a symbol that we had put all the bitterness, and there was a lot of it there, and understandably so, behind us. And sport was helping to move us forward, and it happened in our great stadium of Pro Park.
0: It's great to look back and, and have that... Um... That memory, what do you make of Kerry Hurling now? And like you said, you're involved in St the same paths to, to that team and it's still going well now. Even since I had my accident, I used to play Hurling up until, I suppose, minor, under 21. What do you think of the, the rise and progress Kerry Hurling is making lately? You
1: no, know, I'm absolutely delighted with the way the Kerry Hurlers have performed where the clubs have kept the hurling going. And the professional way they're approaching it now, the Kerry hurlers now are as fit and as dedicated as the Kerry footballers. And that is dedicated, as you will find. They have been very, very successful. When you consider the small attachment area we have. And it's great altogether to see the likes of three Parmel's uh, as well as Austin Stacks, obviously, in Chile. And then you have Kilario, the Brokes, you have St. Pats, and you have more and Faris have to come in, all continuing to play hurling. And when we started way back in 1982-83, that's what we wanted, to give every fella a chance, and now, of course, girls, because Camogie is starting as well, thankfully, an opportunity to play our native games. And that's really what it was all about. And it's great to see it continuing, and there's great work being done. And I'm very proud of it. And pleased with what's happening with Horvig and indeed Camogie here in Kerry because the Camogie is going great as well, fabulous to them. But we have to keep supporting them all and giving them 100% of our effort in every way we can so that we can keep our games alive and strong. And it's great to see And really, the progress that has been made is phenomenal, really. And great credit to everybody.
0: Absolutely. And like you said, the Camogie, and I think women's sports in general is after really coming on you see the Euros there, the England the the Lionesses won the, the Euros and stuff and it's great to see that I suppose women's sports is getting the same recognition as as um as men's. Were you were you involved um that time when they speaking of hurling when they brought the Chris Earing Cup in?
1: Yes. Because when I became president of the, GA, the manager of Wexham's that won the All Ireland final in 1996. Liam Griffin met me and he said to me, Sean, he said, you from Kerry, please don't forget a small ball for your president. And I said, I won't. So actually, I set up a committee involving himself and Gerald Lucknan and Cyril Farrell and Nicky English and many others, standout names in hurling at the time. And they came up in about six months work, they came up with great proposals, and one of them was to introduce the second and third year Hurling Championships, the Christian reign and Nicky Rackard, and that really has been transformative, because it gave a new lease of life to the Hurling Counties, because many of them, like Kerry, they would have limited resources in terms of clubs, and to get them to play in a championship, they played in Croke Park, the first, Christian in final, was played as a curtain raiser to in the in final, televised live and uh, we gave them their own uh, all-stars and we also sent them on a tour abroad. So that gave them a lift and uh, it has been going ever since. Now of course we have the John McDonald Cup as well and the Laurie Maher. So they're all getting recognition and all getting opportunity to play at the highest level and to play in Croke Park which of course is our youngsters dream. All that was a real dream for everyone before that but it never reality. Now it's a dream that becomes a reality for most companies, and that's the way it should be. And I'm delighted to see that progress
0: has been made. Absolutely, hundred percent. What do you? Um, I remember I met you there. I suppose it's going back two years ago. We were out walking in in the national park, out of the direction. What do you do to to chill out if you ever get a chance with all the the travelling and everything? What do you like to do just to zone out and relax? I would
1: like to go for a walk. That would be the best way I would lose. I used to play golf. But I had to give that up because I didn't have enough time for it. But uh, also, I'd like going to matches. I really uh, chill out, as you say. I go to matches. I enjoy them. I kind of study them. Because I was managing teams myself, in the sense, I still look at every game almost through the eyes of a manager. And I'd be saying to myself, what changes should I make here? who's playing well who should be kind of changed that kind of thing and I enjoy that immensely uh, both in hurling and football and uh, it is a great honour to go and see people playing and particularly youngsters one of the best games I saw this year was the Hogan Cup final uh, where the Sen were playing nice unfortunately they were beaten I think by about a point or so but it was a wonderful wonderful game of football and once you see that and we you can enjoy that type of uh, football and spectacle and seeing people developing their skills and taking pride in the jersey, etc., I get great satisfaction with that. Because the one thing, Ian, that I have seen, and most people might look at it this way, it was only when I went to Europe, I realized this. I had an idea in my head that I was going to organize a festival in Europe of indigenous games. That's games like the old games now, national games, the football of every country, but when I investigated, they have no indigenous games anywhere hardly. So I okay. couldn't do it. So we have unique games, and I think it's very important that we preserve them. And we cannot uh, take it for granted because of the fact, especially now with so much TV, et cetera, every game worldwide is getting huge exposure, and particularly the bigger ones. So we're competing in that whole field and it's absolutely wonderful to see that we can still draw 80,000 to our finals. I mean, most people outside of Ireland can't understand how a national game in a country with only 5 million people can draw 80,000 to major matches for amateur sports people. And that's the secret of it. So if we keep that going, then it will be unique and wonderful. And the same, of course, applies probably to our culture our music, and our dance as well, which are, again, uh, admired and loved all over the world, but very few have that kind of talent. So we all lot to our ancestors who developed this, and I'd love to know in depth sometime how actually the whole art of our culture and our how they actually started, who began them, what was the thinking, how they developed. It's not easy to get it now, but certainly it happened, and we are the beneficiaries of it, a wonderful treasure trove, you country
0: which we must preserve, definitely. And it's great to see um, Tina G TG Car there on TV, there covering club games up the country and stuff. And you know, it's great for for even elderly people. You know that can travel to to matches; they get to to see them on on the TV. Would you ever dip into sports or the GA again?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. And uh, you're actually right about T.J. Carr and uh, local radios as well, as like Radio Kerry. So that has been a huge advantage to promotion the game as well in Kerry because people love to know what's going on and having a new game on the radio, local radio. People tune in, they like get to know the players, etc. Et so it's all that to promote it. But I would like it to do something more on a voluntary basis. Somewhere I do help out when I can, but from you're the whole time, you can't really be on the committee because you're on your own for weekends. So from that point of view, you're restricted. But I do help out the best I can. Sometimes with Fossa, sometimes with the Coven, however I can do it. And of course, St. Pat's. I have to keep that flag flying also. So anything we can do, we'd be delighted to do so.
0: Absolutely. Did the, 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 I meant to ask you this a minute ago. Did the passing of the Queen over in England, did that put a, a big stop to the European Parliament because it did stop the whole world really did it have any effect over there it didn't
1: stop it no the the meetings went ahead but they were obviously uh, respectful of her passing because she was a well respected queen all over the world and uh, I had the privilege to meet her when she came to Crock Park
0: really I thought she was
1: lovely yeah I thought she was a lovely lady she was very nice and polite she asked me how, how how I was getting on with The British MPs, and I said, most of them are fine. And she said, I hope we will all get along together someday. And I think that was probably really her mantra. She just wanted to do her best. And I think people respected that. But in terms of the European area, well, obviously respected the Queen and so forth. But there was no real uh, stopping of any activity uh, other than maybe while the funeral was going on for a while.
0: Yeah, I know. She seemed a very witty woman. There, you'd see clips that that are reemerging now since she passed. Um, Sean, thanks a million for coming on. Everyone. I want to really appreciate your your time, and I even myself there to see the ins and outs of what the job of an M- MEP involves. It's very interesting, and I think a lot of people out there will get more of an insight into it. So, thanks for coming on today. Most welcome Ian, and
1: well done to yourself, you're an inspiration to all of us, uh, you in the same as you said, and if you look closely behind me there, you will see that the Gooch, one of my startup past pupils, is in the painting by Paul Downey, who was the Croke's secretary good Hurling Man too from Warford So, everyone we got that connections, and it's great, it helps us all to have a better life and to contribute more. So well done to you, Ian, and uh, you of course, Half of the coming men,
0: at least. I will say two-thirds.
1: <laughs> two-thirds and the rest, fall Well done. And um, you
0: like you said, you'd meet people abroad from Kerry. And a good saying, you can take the man out of Kerry, but you can't take the Kerry out of the man.
1: Exactly. And long will Gone. continue. Thanks so lot, guys. Thank you.
0: Now, unfortunately, that's all we have time for tonight. I hope you all enjoyed the show and I really appreciate you tuning in as always. If you have any questions or requests for next week's show, you can contact me through my Instagram, eno'Connell 321 or through my email address, ioconnell at Stay tuned in to Radio Kerry because Brian Priestley is up next with that jazz. I'll be back at the same time next Wednesday night from 8 to 9pm. Until then, stay safe and mind yourself. You're listening to Stand Out with Ian O'Connell. Wednesday evenings from 8pm here on Radio Kerry.